Welcome to the Random Angst Podcast with your hosts, Justin and Mark. We talk about anything and everything nerdy. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the ride. Today is September 12th, and this is episode 6. Today we're going to be talking about the latest Star Wars Episode 9 director news. Some big news coming. Some yeah. big news, yeah. And then we'll also be addressing the Salt Lake Comic Con updates, as well as a new show on Amazon Prime called The Tick. So we'll be talking about that a little bit more later on in the show. Uh, first of all, though, we want to talk about the latest breaking news that happened earlier this morning. Was it all over Facebook, all over, you know, internet webs, web news sites? And that is that J.J. Uh, Abrams has agreed to return as the episode nine director. He well, and he's the third, like the third guy, right? I mean, they've had a couple before him, right? And they just kept going through them. Well, he's the the second director on episode nine. Um, with the Han Solo film, they went through a duo. Um, th- Miller and Lord were co-directing the Han Solo movie. And then they got that ousted and Ron Howard was picked up to, to finish that one out. So uh, in the last couple of months, yeah, he's probably, you know, he's another director that's been added on to, to direct a Star Wars movie. So why do you, why do you think that they keep going through all these different uh, directors, right? I mean, you've had, couple for for the Han Solo movie now the second one for episode nine do you think Disney just has kind of its idea what it wants or they don't know what they want and they just want to hear people's ideas I mean why do you think they're just going through these you know these directors like mad yeah that is a good question I think only Kathleen Kennedy at Lucasfilm really knows the answer but my speculation is that they wanted to get some up and coming directors that uh had you know some experience but weren't really well known that perhaps they could mold and you know kind of get a good director but still at the same time point them in the direction they wanted the the franchise to go um i know that when miller and lord as well as colin trevorrow the ex episode 9 director the one that just uh, got released they said it was a mutual parting of the ways, but uh, I think that's just code for we fired him, but we want, we want to have him save face. But um, when they announced those three directors, it was all pretty much the same time, if not the same announcement. And uh, Star Wars Episode Eight director Ryan Johnson was also included in that announcement. Um, but so those four directors were all announced either in the same announcement or pretty close to each other. And they're all, they've, you know, made us a good movie here and there. Colin Trevorrow, he directed Jurassic World. Miller and Lord, they directed the Lego movie. And Ryan Johnson had directed Looper. So they all had some some breakout hits and some, well, very successful movies under their belts when it was announced that they would be directing. But they didn't have a lot. They didn't have a a long resume like a Steven Spielberg or a Ron Howard did or anything like that. So they felt that maybe they could give them a chance, but at the same time direct them in the way they wanted the the series to go. And I th- when they announced it, I thought it was odd that they would go that route, you know, that they would choose these new directors that perhaps have one hit under their belt. Uh, Gareth Edwards, who directed Rogue One, his resume was, you know, two, three movies, I think, least that were fairly well known with he was coming off the success of Godzilla and that was debatable I mean it was a good movie but it wasn't an amazing movie so I was surprised that they chose him so I just think they jumped the gun and they wanted to have this kind of up-and-coming directors the new thing and then after the success of episode seven with J.J. Abrams and how much money they made off it, you know, a billion dollars basically worldwide, they had to rethink their strategy and be like, well, we can't be so loosey-goosey with this. We need to be serious and 
is you know there's a lot of money on the line. We don't want to have the first one make a billion dollars and then the next one make five hundred million dollars. Yeah, well, you you wonder too, and and nothing against J.J. Abrams. I know I know he did number seven, but seven came out and. I think a lot of it is just Star Wars hype, right? You're yeah. going to get people that are going to go to Star Wars regardless if it's number seven or number 200. I mean, people are going to go. But, you know, seven kind of got a lot of criticism from being a shadow of the original. Yeah. You know, like they, they kind of echoed each other really, you know, quite a lot, actually. And, um, and I think that... I don't know. In my opinion, I almost feel like that was a little bit of awakening to, you know, to the franchise thinking like, wow, you know, we do have to deliver, you know, something better or whatever. And then Rogue One came out and that was amazing. That was probably one of my most favorite Star Wars films I've ever seen. It was a great story. Great all around. I, I loved it. And I think a lot of fans were the same way. And it makes you wonder if now you know, the franchise is like, look, we have to, you know, the bar has been raised and we have yeah. to follow that. And, uh, you know, the, here come these directors and, you know, maybe they don't have a lot of new ideas or, or way to make it, you know, to that level anymore. So they they have to cite, you know, go through until they can find someone that can deliver. Yeah. Yeah. I think the stakes were raised with how well Force Awakens did as well as Rogue One. Rogue One did better than expected. I mean, there was, they did some reshoots and there was so much uh, negativity, at least in the press, that, you know, this movie's a mess. They had to reshoot so much and, you know, Rogue One's in trouble, blah, blah, blah. But yet when it was released, it did fairly, it did really well. I think upwards of 750 million, if not more. So, but they did. did. I mean, it was just great. I mean, I don't know what the numbers are like what you said, but I know pretty much everyone I've talked to has loved it. Yeah. Yeah. So, and that's another story where Gareth Edwards delivered a movie and the executives weren't happy with it or they realized what they had requested of Gareth Edwards wasn't what they really wanted. And so they did the reshoots. They brought in another director, Tony Gilroy, and he, you know, changed the ending, basically. At least the way the ending um, flowed and the sequences and the editing, editing of it. So uh, they had to make some changes there as well. So all these new directors that they announced, except for Ryan Johnson, who's doing Episode Eight, um, were replaced or fired. So that's that's interesting. Um, also... I'm seeing here that Rogue One, they, it actually did more than a billion dollars worldwide. So, you know, you got to follow that up with even better or just as good of a movie for Episode 8 and 9. And there was some behind-the-scenes rumors that Colin Trevorrow didn't want to play ball. He wanted to do his ideas. And there was, you know, a clash of of pride, I guess, between the executives at Lucasfilm and Colin Trevorrow. And if you fight your boss, uh, usually you get fired for that. So he did, he wanted to do it his way or, or the highway, and he got the highway. So, but that's that's just rumors, and you know nothing specific. So, well, I mean, too, with like with with a franchise this big, I, I think any any director that comes in, they have to realize that you know their creative ideas are going to be really limited right i mean these guys know what they want they know the product so i mean you're not going to rewrite rewrite the will right uh, but i mean put it in perspective but star wars force awakens did over 2 billion dollars oh i mean 2 billion my bad yeah 2 billion so i mean you're talking in two movies you know like three point one billion dollars, and so I mean they yeah. they definitely want to make sure they keep this going. But as far as J.J. Abrams, are, are are you excited by this move? You know, as as a big fan, I know you're a huge huge fan. Are you excited by this move? Are you kind of like, you know, kind of who knows? Maybe I, I don't know. I mean, I know as a Star Trek fan, I I was bummed when he left the series. I'm bummed that he's taking this next one because I wanted to see him go back to Star Trek, but. Yeah. Uh, that will probably never happen now, it looks like. But, I mean, for Star Wars, are you excited about that? Oh, yeah, definitely. J.J. Abrams, I've been watching his shows for 
you know, 15 plus years. Uh, I started with Alias when that was on TV, uh, followed him into Lost, even though he, I think he only directed the pilot episode, but then executive produced the rest of the series as well as Fringe, kind of the same thing. And there's a couple other shows, I, but I didn't really follow those ones, but those are the main ones. And then when he started doing movies with Mission Impossible 3, with... Um, he did Super one? 8, right? Super 8, that was amazing. Yeah, and that that was a great show. I mean, I, it was like an old one of those old 80s movies. I, yeah. I love that one. Yeah, and obviously the new Star Trek movies. So I've always been a huge fan of his, and when it was announced that he would direct Episode 7... I was I was like that's the best choice outside of George Lucas and perhaps even better than George Lucas. He he's the man to to reboot this franchise, not as a reboot, but reinvigorate this franchise, take it to a new level, and just see what he does with it. Um, and looking back, it's been you know about two years since Episode Seven came out, and looking back, it holds up really well. I do see the criticisms that they have that it was just a rehash of episode four, the original, but at the same time, it is its own movie. I mean, it has its own, uh, different storyline. There are some similarities like the star killer base and, you know, a young person trapped on a desert planet type thing, you know, so it has some of the same beats, but it's its own movie. It has its own goals. You know, there is no Vader, no matter how much you want to compare, uh, Kylo Ren to Vader. He's not Vader. He's not intimidating. He has his own journey. Um, so there's, you know, some similarities, but it is its own movies. And I'm, I don't want to say I want to see J.J. Abrams redeem himself because I don't think he needs to redeem himself. But I would like to see him um, take Episode Nine to a new level and just, you know, put all the doubters to rest and deliver an awesome movie. So I'm super excited about him directing Episode Nine. Can't wait for it. Yeah. Yeah, no, definitely something to look forward to. Do you think, uh, just kind of a last question here about this, I guess, do you think that, J, you know, now that this is J.J. Abrams' second, you know, main movie that he's going to do with him, do you think that they might keep him on for more? Or do you think that they're kind of, he's going to become their go-to guy now that, uh, you know, we're into the later episodes and it seems like they're looking for someone with the right thing and, Obviously, he has it. Do you think he's going to be on for much longer or just yeah. two and out? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I think he'll be involved on some level. I, th- I would like to see, because really the next movies are, there's two more standalones, this Han Solo movie and then another unnamed, unannounced project. And then they are going to do an, another trilogy at some point, but it sounded like they're going to take a break a couple years, five years, and then they'll get back to it. And I can see him doing one of those new movie, one of those uh, movies in the new trilogy. That's, you know, five years out or even more. Um, but if he didn't, it wouldn't be surprising either. Cause I think by that time, you know, it'll be who eight years perhaps before they even get back to it. And, you know, he's might have, he might have retired or moved on or, you know, who knows? I think it's just too far out to say. But if he was involved on some level, I'd support that. I'd go see the movie because I've enjoyed his, his work for, like I said, over, you know, 15, 15 years. So. Yeah. So I know I said that was the last question. This is <laughs> a side question. I'm sorry. I'm going to ask questions all day. Do you think – I? I know we talked to Greg Grun- Grunberg when he came out. He came to Comic-Con. Great guy. We talked to him. Great stories. Great right. panel. Um, do you think he's happy because now he has job security? Oh, yeah. Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah. they're friends, right? I mean, he, yeah. he talked about their friendship and yep. you know, J.J. Abrams calls him up for these movies. So, you know, uh, that's kind of one of the first things I, I thought. is like, hey, that guy, you know, he that we talked to Greg Grumberg. I wonder if he's happy, you know, and yeah. he's, he's guaranteed not, you know, through the next two episodes now. Yeah. Well, uh, pretty sure like 95% positive he's in episode eight as a pilot again. Um, so I guess the question is if he's in episode or when he's in episode nine, cause we know that's going to happen when he's in that, does he die? Does he survive the trilogy? I think that's the big question, you know, does he go out in a blaze of glory glory? 
blow up the new <laughs> Death I hope this isn't the case. Hope there's not another Death Star, but <laughs> does he blow up this last Death Star and save the rebellion, the resistance? You know, we'll see. Yeah, yeah, it'll be interesting, but yeah. well great. Great. Yeah, it's good good a lot of good news coming out of that franchise. I'm I'm excited. Yeah. All right. Um so as has been the pattern for the past few episodes of our podcast, we will talk about Salt Lake Comic Con. Uh, it's coming up in a couple of weeks, uh, the 23rd, so two weekends basically. And since it's in our backyard, we like to talk about it. It's you know big big deal for us. But as far as new notable guest announcements, there hasn't been any since the last time we had our podcast. Uh, we announced Zachary Levi. And there really hasn't been anybody big since then. There's been a couple artists announced, um, a couple C, D-level actors, one I've never heard of. So nothing big. But I did get my VIP pass in the mail yesterday, as well as uh, my shirt, the VIP shirt. Um, It's actually a pretty sweet shirt. Um, The past shirts that I've gotten, I've been, eh, take it or leave it. I wear it sometimes when I'm out mowing the lawn or something. But this shirt is pretty sweet. It's pretty uh, uh, shiny. It's got a good design. And so I'll be wearing that uh, more than just mowing the lawn. I'll probably wear it to the movie even. <laughs> so I got that all in the mail, got set up, ready to go for that. Um, they The big news out of Salt Lake Comic Con, I would say, over the past week or so, is they're putting together the photo op packages. Have you seen any of those, Mark? Yeah. No, I, I was looking through... Um you know, just the last little bit. And they have some, you know, pretty cool ones. I know they have the, the Stargate SG one, SG one, yeah. uh, where they have, uh, you know, it was Richard Dean Anderson and Christopher judge. Yeah. Uh, they have, um, I know they have the, uh, uh, walking dead yeah. one, right. Yeah. Which is, uh, which would be pretty cool if you like the series. So, I mean, I know they have quite a few different ones. I, I don't know all of them, but, uh, I mean, Hey, if you're fans of some of these shows, they they have actors there for you um, that uh, you can get these packages with. It's a great deal instead of buying them separately. Yeah. Uh, I think they have the – are they doing a Daredevil package? I don't know. Yeah, there's Daredevil with Elodie Young, who's Elektra, and then John Bernthal, who's the Punisher. So they're calling it the Daredevil package, but Daredevil's not in it. I don't know why they did that, <laughs> but yeah. So they do have that. Hopefully they'll announce uh, some more Daredevil actors. They got a week or so, so maybe we'll see some more. Yeah, yeah, that'll be neat. And I know they announced quite a few different, you know, professional cosplayers that are that'll yeah. be there. Yeah, and that's always cool. If you like the cosplay, check it out. Lot of lot of good uh, cosplay there. You know, both amateur and professional. It's it's great to see. Yeah, definitely. And we're gonna make it a goal to talk to some of the professional cosplayers. Get a picture with them and just see you know what drives them why they chose the the cosplay they chose and what do they like about it what motivates them to keep coming up with new ideas new innovations for their their costume so look for that in upcoming episodes after salt lake city comic con are they uh, are they gonna well i guess not i was gonna ask if they were gonna do a uh, lord of the rings one but sean austin isn't coming right he's not been announced yet so yeah, the only Lord of the Rings actor is so far as Elijah Wood. But mm. I I think it would be a mistake if they didn't get at least one more. I know the guy who played Gimli, uh John Reese Davis has been to Comic Con in the past. I think he even came to the last Fanex in you know, earlier this year, so Yeah, yeah, he was, was last he was year. Safe. Yeah, we went to his panel. It was great. Yeah, I, that's I, true. I love listening to that guy. He's great. It's a great speaker. Yeah. So he's come in the past. Sean Astin's come in the past. So there's two people they could hopefully get and have a good Lord of the Rings uh, photo op. That'd be pretty sweet. Yeah, why not? I mean, it's. I, I know it's kind of older. It's been away for a while. But, man, there's always fans. I, I think that'd be great. Yeah, it's a classic. It'll be around forever. Which is good because I, I thought it was a good trilogy. Oh yeah, it's not one of those that you shelve. I mean, after yeah. a while, you just you know you'll you'll watch it again. So yeah, at some point. Yeah. Okay. Um. So on the topic of 
J.J. Abrams and his movies. We meant I mentioned earlier about Mission Impossible Three. And I just want to bring this up because it's kind of funny. Um, my wife and I and my daughter we started watching the Mission Impossible series. We were looking for something to watch, and we're like, "Hey, what about Mission Impossible?" So last night we were on number three, which is the J.J. Abrams directed Mission Impossible. And as we were watching it, you know, you can see the the evolution from one to two and then to three and so on. Um, but three is markably different and much better than the previous two. I mean, the previous two have their moments and I, I like them, but number three, uh, there's just a different feel for it. There's a different, uh, energy about it. And that's totally JJ Abrams influence. And so as I, I was watching, I was like, wow, this one's really good. I like this one. This is one of my favorites. And I was like, yeah, J.J. Abrams should do another movie soon. (laughs) Then, lo and behold, I wake up in the morning and J.J. Abrams is directing Star Wars Episode Nine. So I thought that was pretty interesting. (laughs) Um, That's another reason why I was excited about it. Because any movie he makes, I think, is going to be a success. And it's going to be something I like personally. I mean, he's a a fan of many genres that I like. You know, Star Trek, Star Wars, um, spy movies, all that stuff. So... You know, he's always going to have some type of nerd element to, to his movies, I believe. And so anything he does, I'm I'm looking forward to. Especially the new Cloverfield. He's executive producing that will come out in February. We're definitely going to talk about Cloverfield over the next couple months. Just a, a teaser, I guess you could say. You know, I, I haven't watched that yet. and uh, Oh, dude, you should. It's good. Yeah, I've, I've heard good things, right? I just... I'm lame, I guess, and I just haven't watched it. But, uh, uh, you know, going back to Mission Impossible, looks like yeah. they're coming out with the sixth one, right, next yeah. year? Yeah, I'm kind of excited about that, too. So, so that's just, I mean, late, lately it's like these series that never end, you know, and yeah. it's, it's great. I mean, it's like everyone saw James Bond and realized, hey, we can just switch the actor out and keep the movie going forever. Yeah, so... Mission Impossible, Henry Cavill's the the bad guy, the villain in that. So that'll be good to see him play a new role, you know, instead of being Superman and save, saving the day. He's <laughs> going to be the villain. So I wonder cool. how uh, fans will take that, right? I mean, you yeah. see some of these characters that they play somebody, uh, you know, for example, Luke Skywalker, right? Right. And then when he was the voice of the Joker, that was a big thing. I mean, I remember hearing him talking about it. He didn't think they would allow him because, you know, you're going Luke Skywalker to some crazy maniac. So makes you wonder how the fans will take that if if they'll like it or he's yeah. he's Superman forever. Yeah, I think I think he'll pull it off. I mean he's got a mustache, right? So different totally different character. Yeah, and then, I mean, it's pretty much some returning cast, right? Simon Pegg's coming back. Yeah. Uh, is it v- Vinge Rames? Vinge Rames? Yeah. Yeah, he, and he's been in it since the original, right? He's been yeah. in it since number one. Yeah, he's been in it with Tom Cruise throughout the whole journey. Great. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I, I mean, I don't know much about it. I've just, you know, kind of heard a couple snippets here and there, so. Yeah. So, exciting stuff. Um and then it, uh, we have a show dedicated specifically to it coming up in a in a week or two. But Mark, you went and saw it. What was your first impressions of that? Oh man, it it I think it lived up to the hype. There, there was good a lot of good things about it. There was you know some some not so good things about it. But I think the good things definitely outnumbered the bad things. It, it did great. I mean, it was the number one opener for a rated R movie ever. And, you know, I mean, maybe that's good or bad, right? (laughs) I mean, that's up to everyone else to decide. But it was it was great. Uh, Was it the boy actor from Stranger Things? Uh, He's in it. I can't think of his name. Do you have that offhand? It was the guy who played Finn, right? Yeah, he played Finn. He's in it. And he's one of the one of the boys that deals with everything and I uh, he was hilarious and that that guy had jokes for days and and they were they were good to hear I mean the one-liners uh, were memorable uh, the story was great I mean like you said we'll, we'll talk more about it we don't want to you know spoil anything we, we told everyone to give people a couple weeks before we start spoiling stuff but uh I mean, we'll talk more about it. If you haven't seen it, go see it. It, it is scary. I'm, I'm not going to lie to you. It is scary. Uh, get, there's a lot of jumpy parts, but it's uh, 
I mean, it's, it's a scary movie, and if you've yeah. seen the original, then then you know what it's about. I mean, it, it's the same thing, just you know, renewed, right? Re- yeah. Better. So it, it's great. Go see it. I know so, Justin hasn't seen it yet. Go see it, man. Yeah, I'm hoping to see it this week. So would you say it has a good mixture, a good balance of comedy, humor, I guess, and then the horror, the jumpy, scary parts? You know, for me, the original made it really scary because you didn't see a lot of Pennywise, right? I mean, you saw him, he he was there, and he kind of hopped out now and again, but you saw him, you know, waving in the distance and there was a lot of story in between it seemed like uh-huh. but this one is a lot of pennywise there's just a lot of them okay. and so it's almost like scare overload almost a little bit you feel like it, it, you're just going from one scene to the next scary scene to the next scary scene and then you'll get a little break and then you'll get the same thing over and over and over again and you know, so it, it's almost a little much, really. But I, I think it was good, right? I mean, I it is what it is. It's, it's it. You know, right. don't expect anything more. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think they'd rather err on the side of too much instead of too little. Like we brought up Godzilla earlier, and I think that one of the downfalls of that movie, if you call it a down, I think that's a harsh downfall. But one of the issues I had with that movie was. There wasn't enough Godzilla. I mean, you'd see him not very much and until the end when there was a big battle, but there wasn't a lot of Godzilla in that movie. So I think with It, I, I'd rather see more It than less It. Yeah. So yeah. I, goes. Yeah, that, that's a good point. I mean, I, I think they struck – I mean, it, it was good. Okay. I mean, I, I – I never thought that like it was like okay this is getting dumb now. Okay. And, and they progressed the story well. Good. I mean it, it ended it ends pretty much right where the original ends. They're gonna have a second movie. I I don't know if they've announced a date or anything yet, but. Um, no, I it, just heard that they're gonna do a second one. Oh yeah, you have to right. It's a yeah. two part two part movie, but de- definitely good. Um, yeah, I mean we'll talk more about it later. I don't yeah. want to get anything else up. So. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Cool. So go see it. We're going to talk about it in a couple of weeks. So see it before we spoil it for you. And well, you, and we'll have a special guest for that too. Uh, yeah. uh, so make sure you tune in. Yeah. Jordan Rasmussen, Stephen King expert, will be here with us to talk it, as well as Dark Tower and other Stephen King properties, books, movies, whatever. Okay. So moving on, we're going to talk about uh, some books. Last week we talked about the Dresden Files and kind of gave an overview of that 15 book, 15 or more book series. And it's kind of general and we wanted to get back to that and talk more about some specifics as to why it's such a good series, why Harry Dresden is a good character. Um, And just, you know, be a little more in depth to hopefully intrigue you guys and give you uh, an idea of what you know makes this series so good. So um, the first book, Stormfront, uh, we talked a little bit about, and uh, you said there was fifteen books and then a couple of short story novellas. Is that correct? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. They're coming out with 16. Uh, so that there's 15 that's, that's out right now. So plenty of reading that's out there. Uh, they have one, one book out that's called side jobs. that has like nine or 10 side stories. They're coming out the second one and they have a bunch of, uh, graphic novels. If you like graphic novels, the, f- the first three pretty much follow the general story, um, you know, of the first couple books. And then after that, they, they're kind of like a side story as well, but they're all about Harry Dresden. So th- those are pretty neat. A lot of, okay. you know, I, I like graphic novels and, uh, I think I said this last week, but when, uh, Jim Butcher originally wanted to do it, he wanted to do it in graphic novels. So it, it, he loves it. He puts a lot of time and effort into them. So they're definitely worth the read. Okay. So introduce us to Harry. You talked a, a bit about him. He's a detective, a PI, he does magic, sure. he's a wizard, <clears throat> that sort of thing. 
But what makes it an interesting character and why do we care about Harry and what's his motivation for all of this and how does he grow throughout the this this 15 book series? Oh, well, <laughs> you know, I I really do like Harry as a character. Um you know, book one starts out, and, and you don't know a whole lot about him. You know, he's just this guy that, you know, like you and me, trying to make it through the world, right? Has a job, needs money to pay bills, uh, things like that. Um, one of the things I really like about Harry um, and, you know, his you know character development that he goes through is that you kind of connect with him on a real level. Uh, he understands that, you know, m- magic has its costs. You know, I mean, he's a wizard. He does magic. And he understands that, that you know, you don't just use magic for the sake of using magic because, you know, it's intoxicating. You know, if you can just blow anything up you want, I mean, how soon until – you take it to the next level, you know, I need some money. I'm going to go blow up a bank and take money because I can. Right. But he, he loves magic because what it can do, he loves it because, you know, he can use it to protect people. He can use it to help people. And that's really the root of who Harry is. You know, he, you know, he's this guy that, that wants to help people that can't help themselves because he has the power to do it. And he's seen the consequences of um, a a wizard using that that power for bad. He's seen that firsthand, you know, from the guy that taught him, a guy named Harry, uh, named Jason Demorn, and uh, Justin Demorn. Yeah, I'm sorry, Justin Demorn. I didn't forgive me, but uh, I only yes. remember because that's my name. <laughs> Horrible name. No, I'm just kidding. But uh, you know, Justin Demore, and he, you know, he he saw what it what it did to him, and uh, you know, he he has fought tooth and nail to make sure that he's never like that because you know he's felt that intoxication before. You know, he's felt that draw, and he doesn't want to be drawn into that. He, you know, and and he sees the good in people. So he's and, more altruistic in nature. Yeah, you know, he, he really is, and but at the same time. He will do anything to protect those he loves, and that includes blowing up homes. You know, and and if if innocents are in the way, that's a bummer. Get out of the way because you know he is he is there to do what he's going to do, and nobody's going to stop him. I mean, multiple times throughout the book, he is you know rampaging in to save his friends, to save his daughter, to save you know the. Anybody he loves, really, anything he cares about, you know, is one of his best friend's kids. You know, he stands toe-to-toe with the leadership of, of the council, and he's going to throw down with him, even though he's going to die. He's willing to die because he wants to do what's right. And yeah. and at the same time, that's his flaw. Yeah. Because what Harry thinks is right isn't always right, right? And, uh, right. And so, you know, it's almost like you can kind of see – you know, his internal conflict and, and you can relate to it. You know, how many of us want to do the right thing all the time, but we can't and because we don't have the power or how many of us are willing to do the right thing no matter what. And we just suffer the consequences. And so you just kind of connect with him yeah. and, uh, and you feel for him, like some of the choices he makes. And, and that kind of leads into the, you know, into another thing that I kind of talked about last week, everything has a consequence. Good choices, bad choices, you know, everything has a consequence. Um, you know, uh, Harry explains it throughout many of the books. He talks about, you know, each time I, you know, I do this, you know, I, I cast a spell in anger or, um, you know, look through his third sight type thing, you know, it costs him, it, you know, it, it starts to change who he is little by little. And the more, the more times he has to, you know, sacrifice or do something that's a little too wrong, it adds up over time. And pretty soon it could, it could really change who he is. And he's so worried about that. I mean, you've read the books, Justin, you know that. I mean, he's always talking about like, 
how worried he is that he's going to turn into a monster and he will yeah. never notice. He'll, he'll never notice. And in the last couple books, you kind of start to see like his friends start looking at him a little different, right? Yeah. They start seeing him a little different. Uh, and, um, but you know, they're still there for him. So and do it, you think this, he's like, he is have a, he does have a good nature. He wants to do the right thing, but yet he still struggles with that. Do you think that's, uh, a consequence or a, an effect of how Justin trained him? Because wasn't he the mentor that taught him for a bit when his teenage years? Do you think that's the influence from Justin or that's just Harry, you know, his genetics perhaps or his just his disposition? And what do you think about that? Is there an influence from Justin that carries over into his current practice? Uh, definitely. And I mean, I'll just do a quick run through Justin. A lot, you know, maybe, you know, listeners know who he is. Uh, maybe you haven't read the book and you don't know, know who he is. He, uh, he was, he ended up adopting Harry and another girl, um, named Elaine and he taught them, uh, you know, as apprentices and he was supposed to be, he's what, um, he's what's called a warden. And so he's like the, uh, you know, part of the police force for the wizards. Yeah. And, you know, he's supposed to fight for what's good. And, and I mean, that's kind of a simplistic term, right? Good, because, I mean, the wardens are, <laughs> you know, they don't do everything that's good. But, yeah, they're a gray character type. Yeah. But, I mean, it needs to say, you know, they're supposed to be good. They're supposed to uphold certain laws and things like that. And instead, what Justin did is he taught these two kids to to be warlocks just basically evil wizards and trained them to do that and harry fought him harry realized what was happening he fought him and and he killed him and uh and and i think so because here is this guy that's supposed to be good that you know adopted him and supposed to protect him and and he saw what power did to him so i'm sure that has to do with it but i'm also i also think that a lot of it has to do with because he himself is starting to gain a lot of power. Yeah. I mean, from the first book, he, you know, he's just a normal guy, you know, he, I mean, he's, he's relatively strong for a wizard, but I mean, he's not like an epic threat or anything to anybody. And then you see him, you know, gain, start gaining friends, start gaining trust. He, he gets a, what is it? The winter's night mantle. Right, and uh, for so those does that of you, grant him extra power. Uh, yes, it does. So in in the books, it talks about it. Right, I mean, as a winter knight, basically serving a fairy queen, the winter fairy, um, you know, and it talks about who she is through the books. Uh, for those that you don't know, Santa Claus is a fairy, and he's part of the winter court. <laughs> yeah, I that was awesome. That. <laughs> to, that was awesome to yeah. read. I loved it. Uh, it talks about that, but. Um, you know, he's, he's part of the Winter Court, and in the Winter Court, there's four main powers, right? There's uh, obviously the queen. There's the the mother uh, – was it the grandmother queen? I and don't remember the term. Yeah, I don't remember the term either. And she is uh, pretty much the most powerful being on the planet, right? And so she is, she's uh, like a world killer. That's kind of how they just, you know, describe her power. And then the regular queen – uh, and then you have the princess, right. who is a queen, and then you have the knight, who, and that's Harry Dresden becomes a knight. And he does it, and he doesn't do it because he's like, I want to be the knight. He takes his mantle because he gets hurt, right? He breaks his yeah. back, and he's trying to save his daughter. So he gives up, you know, basically kind of gives up part of himself to do it. Right. And and I think that worries him because it's like I was saying, nothing comes with consequences. He saved his daughter, but it, it cost him big time. And he worries every book he talks about it, right? Like um, that, you know, he's going to end up becoming evil because the winter night before him was evil. And he worries about that. And then later in the book, you, he becomes the warden with a you know capital T of the and capital W of warden. Like he's the number one warden. And, uh, and you, you know, as you read the books, you kind of know what that means. But, you know, he, you know, he takes up on more power and more responsibility. And he gets to a point where he can threaten major, major beings in the universe, right? Yeah. And, uh, you know, you just see him, 
getting stronger, getting smarter, getting better. Um, you know, it's just amazing uh, the things he does. And then it's, you know, but he doesn't do it himself. He has friends, uh, you know, his allies. I mean, I mean, you've read kind of the book. I mean, for, for all his allies, what's, who's your favorite ally? I don't know. There's a couple. I mean, I like um, his brother, Thomas. Mm-hmm. They, they make an, I guess it's more of a, like a half brother, but he's a vampire. So he's kind of the mortal enemy, at least his people, you know, they're the mortal enemies of Harry, but yet he has a brother who's, he loves and cares for who's, who's a vampire. So they have to agree to disagree on a lot of things. There's some conflict there, but yet there's some love there. So that's always an interesting dynamic. I like how they play off each other and help each other out. And then, you know, one book they're helping each other out. The next book they're, you know, they're, they have confrontations against each other. So that's an always been an interesting dynamic. And then, uh, his, his friend, the police officer, what's her name? Oh, Murphy, Karen Murphy. Yeah. Murphy. They always have a good relationship. They're always, you know, cracking jokes, ripping on each other, but yet they're, they're best friends. And like you alluded to last time, the last, this last book, you, they hook, they kind of hook up and you're like, Oh, are they, are they together or what's going on? But up until that point, it's a mutual friendship and, you know, they, they're there to support one another and look, they have each other's backs and stuff like that. So I would say those two are my favorites of the allies. I know he has the, the older wizard who's, who raised him or who took care of him after Justin died, after he killed Justin. Uh huh. Ebenezer McCoy. Ebenezer, yeah. And that ends up being his grandfather. You find that out later in the book. Oh, and then Bob. How can you forget Bob? (laughs) <laughs> Bob, right? I mean, <laughs> if, if you have to read these books. If you haven't read these books, people, pick this up. He's a, Bob is a witty character. A lot of, I mean, it, he's basically a pervert, really. And uh, <laughs> a lot of knowledge. And he's a spirit, right? He's not even a human. He's, a, he's an intellectual spirit. And he's stuck inside a skull. And Harry named the skull Bob. So um, they call him Bob the Skull, and and he's a great character. Uh, he ton of laughs, ton of knowledge. I mean, he he's really part of what makes Harry too. Yeah. Um, I you know he, he kind of phased out at the end of the last few books. Yeah, I was gonna say what, reasons, what happened to him in the last the last few books. But in the first yeah. few books, he was pretty prevalent. He was like kind of like his main sidekick, besides Murphy. So. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's, he's around for like the first really 12, 13 books and he's around in the last couple books. He just don't, he, you know, he's not really big into it anymore. And, yeah. um, he'll I, come back. It just makes me wonder how, right. I mean, there's, I don't know. There's a reason he was kind of pushed out. Uh, you have to read the books to know why, but, um, uh, you know, he'll come back. I just wonder how, you know, like how they'll bring him back in. Yeah. So, but. Uh, so you talked about um, the consequences for the cho- his choices and he's worried how powerful he will get. That's, you know, because every time he sees people get power, they use it for the wrong reasons. So he's worried about that, that he'll, he'll do that as well. But doesn't he take steps to prevent that from happening? Doesn't he have like deals like if you if i do this then you need to take me out type thing isn't that or am i making stuff up i mean sort of um so he, he kind of had, i think he has a kind of like an understanding with like thomas uh, his brother and karen that if, if if they ever kind of see him and those are the two he trusts the most in, right. through the whole book i mean uh, karen's been with him since the beginning uh, he's known her for years uh, they're they're really best friends. They kind of alluded in the last book that they'll become lovers, but uh, and you know his brother Thomas. And I think there's kind of an understanding that if he ever does kind of go off the edge, you know that they'll take care of him. Yeah, and I what I remember. Yeah, and Karen has said as much. Yeah. Right. You know, if you ever do, you know, I'll, I'll be there to make sure you can't, you know, do these things. But I mean, he tried things right when he took the winter winter mantles night. You know, he really it, that was really hard on him because he knew 
the consequences of that, and they were big. They were big consequences. I mean, he he would uh, it would change who he is. Um, he would have access to power that is is com- complete by rage and and everything else. You know, all that you know down that line. I mean, and so it, it was tar- hard for him because he knew what he was getting into. And so what he did was he hired um, another character to. To kill him, right? right? Hired him and had him shoot him from a thousand yards away and shot him, and and he was supposed to die. He didn't, but I mean, you know, he he's taken steps to protect himself. I mean, even when he picked up, you know, the coin from the blackened denarius, um, you know, he he did things to try to protect himself. And so, um, but I mean, he has good things too, right? I mean, he's given soul fire. Uh, which is basically he can use part, you know, part of who he is, part of his soul to imbue his his spells to become stronger. And, you know, that was a blessing given to him by an archangel. Right. Yeah. So he has good things going for him, too. Um, you, you, you know, he has the support of Odin, who's a good, you know, supposedly a pretty good character. And uh, and apparently he's Santa Claus, too. Right. I mean, who yeah. knows? Santa <laughs> Claus not, is buff. Yeah, Odin. <laughs> Santa Claus is probably the most awesome character in that book. <laughs> so, uh, I mean, he, he does and he doesn't is kind of how I look at it. Um, I mean, people like Rashid. Uh, is it Rashid, the gatekeeper? Yeah. He has his support, yeah. um, too. He's one of the most powerful wizards in the world. They're friends. Um, you know, I think that... Uh, if things start going off the rail for him a little bit, Rashid will definitely be one of the people there to help him out. Yeah, I can see that happening. Yeah, definitely. So, um, yeah, the, it, it's just tough to say. I mean, I know there's been things alluded. I don't know if there's anything set in stone. Mm-hmm. So, okay. all right. So uh, that's that's Harry Dresden and his story. Um, yeah, p- pick it up. I mean, just try the first book. I promise you won't regret it. There's it werewolves really in the first book. Is it werewolves? No, it's not werewolves. That's like the second book. Oh, yeah, that's Full Moon, the second book. Yeah, that's the second book. Well, what's the first uh, book? Give a short uh, synopsis of the first book, if you remember. Yeah, so, yeah, first book, um, Harry Dresden's really his first big case. Um, he's brought in to help uh, Karen Murphy. Uh, he, you know, consults time to time with the with the police department, and there's just some weird things going around. There's this guy named Victor Sales who keeps, you know, his name keeps, you know, being brought up. And throughout the um, movie, uh, another wizard keeps showing up uh, to to Harry, and Harry gets put. He's kind of like on a probation in, as far as the wizard world. And if he messes up, he doesn't go to jail. They just chop his head off. So his probation officer pretty much keeps showing up to to see if he's breaking the rules. And they don't like each other, so there's definitely some negative back and forth there. Um, but basically, what happens is he, you know, hunts down a dark wizard, and it ends up being this guy named Victor Sells. And they have this epic throwdown at the end, and oh, there's yeah. pretty cool magic, right? And then yeah. you know, there was the scorpions are running around trying to kill everybody, and uh, and then Harry kind of proves his worth there, and um, and he ends up getting off his probation. So it's a really good story. It's only cut, you know, I think two or three hundred pages long. A lot of information and a lot of good story, and it's really a beginning to something greater. So I mean, if you like the first one, you're gonna like the rest. It, it just gets better and better as you read it. And I've kind of told anyone I I tell this like the first four or five books are really like you could read as standalone books. Uh, they don't really tie in, but or I think around book five or six, they start all tying in. It all starts making sense, and the book goes from great to amazing, and uh, you'll never put it down. It's just yeah. – I love it. So. A lot of great action scenes, a lot of great fight uh, scenes. I mean you got you know vampire courts fighting against each other. Um, so very – very readable. It reads fast. I mean, you even got Harry Dresden riding a T-Rex down the streets of Chicago. 
Sounds crazy. Oh. <laughs> it was one of the most amazing things I've ever read. It really was. It, that That's my favorite book of the entire series. Yeah. So check it out. We'll post a link on our Facebook page and do some reviews on our website, randomanks.com. So you can uh, explore it a little bit more and get some more input on that. So yeah, Harry Dresden, Dresden Files, book one is Stormfront by mm-hmm. Jim Butcher. Check it out. Yeah, pick it up. Uh, Jim Butcher's coming to Comic-Con, so read it. Go get him to sign it and uh, pick up the second book while you're there. Yep. Okay. So moving into TV shows, uh, I know a lot of the TV shows are going to be start re- or their new seasons are going to start airing here in the next couple of weeks, so I'm excited for that. Some of my favorite shows are Gotham, um, Star Wars Rebels, uh, all the DC shows on the CW. Um, those are Stranger Things. will be coming out in October, end of October. So a lot of great shows, but for now... Vikings, don't Vikings. forget Vikings. Yep, Vikings. Is it the last season on that? I don't know. I, I I haven't read if it's the last season. I'm sure it will be. It, if, if anyone knows much about the history of it, it, you know, it kind of ties up around here because they don't really know what happened. <laughs> but uh, this one's I've seen the preview. It looks amazing. It's supposed to be really good. You're going to see a lot of a lot of fighting. I'm sure you're going to see a lot of main character deaths coming up. Yeah. Okay. Uh, but it is the summer season, so there's a lot of uh, new shows that's. Uh, don't necessarily go anywhere and then you got reality tv and then you got these cable shows as well as like netflix shows and one show that came out recently is the tick and that's on amazon prime only for amazon prime subscribers and i sat down to watch the first episode last night i've been meaning to do it for a while uh the first season will be 12 episodes but they've only produced and released the first six episodes and then I think in a couple months they'll they'll do the the second six, but I didn't know much about the tick like you, Mark. And as I was watching it, I was thinking, eh, this does not sound familiar to what I thought about the tick. And so I pulled up Wikipedia, read a little bit on it, and apparently the tick isn't part of Marvel or DC universe. It's its own thing. It was written kind of to parody those, you know superhero shows cartoons and it initially started out as a comic book and a cartoon show on saturday mornings and now it's a a tv show i think they did a fox did a show a live action show 20 years ago obviously it didn't do very well it didn't last per fast didn't last past the first season <laughs> well it was uh yeah it was really strange right yeah um came back but uh, trying to think who played it, but uh, Patrick Warburton. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and it was just really like kind of a strange show, right? I remember yeah. seeing a couple of those. I'm like, this is weird. Yeah, and I was getting it confused confused with the Blue Beetle from DC. <laughs> oh <laughs> they're yeah, blue, they're bugs. You know, they fight crime, whatever. And so when I started, that's why when I started watching, I was like, what is this? I don't remember this at all. So, but it was entertaining. It wasn't like, what is this? It's crappy, but what is this? This is bizarre and kind of funny and entertaining. Um, but the first episode, we were introduced to these new superheroes that aren't, you know, commonly well known. And we see that uh, the the Tick is probably one of the last superheroes and he's fighting crime and he joins up with this sidekick. And I don't think they really name him in this first episode. He just has this, he ends up getting this gray suit with wings and gives it to his sidekick and they decide they're going to start fighting crime together. So the tone of the show is very bizarre (laughs) in the sense that you got these over-dramatized scenes and dialogue but yet it works. It's not corny. I mean, I guess it is kind of corny, but it's in a good way. You're like, oh, that's that's interesting. I've never really seen that style be pulled off very well. And the tick always has these 
weird one-liners and monologues a lot. And um, it was interesting. It was their 20-minute episodes, 25-minute episodes. So I sat down and watched the first one. I'll be watching at least the next couple to see where the show goes. Uh, basically, the the story so far in this first episode, and I imagine will carry over in subsequent episodes, talks about the the sidekick character who's you know in his mid twenties, early thirties maybe, and he is suffering, I would say, from PTSD in the sense that he witnessed a traumatic event from a, he was sitting at a restaurant with his dad and they were eating and then um, the main bad guy um, the terror his, that's his name or title the terror but he shoots the ship out of the sky and it falls down and lands directly on his dad and kills him when he sees it and then the terror comes down and the superheroes that are in the ship, they jump out, but they're, you know, wounded. So the terror kills them, him and his minions, they kill the, the superheroes. And he walks up to the the sidekick, whose name is Arthur Everest, and steals his ice cream and eats it in front of him and laughs and walks off. <laughs> <laughs> but the kicker is there was, a, awesome. there was a photographer there and he took a picture of, Ar- young Arthur and the Terror, and it was on Time Magazine, so you know the whole country, the whole world knows about this moment that was so traumatic for him. So every time he meets someone, they're like, "Oh, you're that kid that was on the cover," and so he has to be reminded of his dad's death. You know, every time he talks to someone about it. So he's you know on some meds and has these support people around him to make sure he doesn't go crazy. And but he's thinking that the Terror who allegedly was killed by uh, another superhero. I guess the Tick isn't the last superhero. There's another one. but And this other superhero, I can't remember. I'm thinking his name is Superion. He kills the Terror off screen. And so in this moment of time, everyone thinks the Terror is dead. But Ar- Arthur is convinced that he's alive. He's back. He's building his army. And so he's investigating the terror to see what he's doing. And that's when he runs into the tick because the tick is also, you know, trying to track down the thugs and figure out if the terror is back. So that's a lot of words (laughs) to talk about it. 25 minute episodes. It's not as complex as I'm probably making it sound, but that's the gist of the first episode. And then at the end, uh, Arthur and the Tick team up, and then it leads into the second episode that I haven't watched yet. So, who who plays the Tick? The Tick play is played by Peter Serafinovich. Okay, and okay, and he's the guy that was like that uh, Saul or whatever, right? In Guardians of the Galaxy, who was who? He played Saul in Guardians of the Galaxy. Remember, he was up in that. He was up in that ship, and Rocket's like, "Hold on, Saul, hold on," and he gets crushed and, and oh, dies. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yep. Okay, okay, I know who he is. Oh, okay, that'll be interesting. I don't have Amazon Prime, but uh, sound sounds like it'd be kind of a fun watch. Yeah, so I'll watch the the rest of the other five episodes and fill you in on a later date. But it was it was interesting. I mean, it doesn't take itself seriously, and it's not meant for the viewer to take it seriously. It's kind of a fun, zany, bizarre show to make you laugh and go on this adventure. So I'll keep you guys updated on on this show, the the Tick on Amazon Prime. All right, so that is our show for today. Um, talked a lot about some breaking news, uh, recent stuff going on with Comic-Con, and then rehashed Harry Dresden. So if you want to talk about these more, please feel free to visit our Facebook page and um, join in on the conversation there. And uh, you can also find us on twitter.com slash random angst. Some people like Twitter, some people like Facebook. Um, I typically have these mood swings where I'm all about Twitter for a few weeks 
and then I'm back on Facebook for a few weeks. So, yeah, I understand that some people prefer one platform over the other, but we're involved with both. So join us there and comment on our, our posts and what you like about them and what you want to see in the future. We also are on Instagram, a um, little less so, but we're still there if you want to join the conversation there. We're also on Tumblr. Search for us on Tumblr for Random Angst, as well as our, our website, our blog, randomangst.com. Any parting words, Mark, for our audience? Uh, you know, just keep listening. Uh, comment, please comment. Tell us what we can do better, what you like. Uh, if you agree with me, if you agree with Justin, if you think we're full of crap, just talk to us. Uh, you know, let us know. Spread it. You know, share our page. Share stuff. Um, and, and thanks for listening. Uh, we, we like to have listeners. We will also be at Salt Lake Comic Con handing out wristbands and buttons and talking with various guests and cosplayers and fans at Salt Lake Comic Con. So stay tuned for some exclusive content from Random Angst at Salt Lake Comic Con. Once again, I want to thank you for listening and please join us next time. Thanks, guys. Talk to you later.